The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2015, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon was from Friday, June 5th. Cooking with Hops, presented by Douglas Miller from the Culinary Institute of America and Chuck Bassford from Brooklyn Brewery. How you guys doing tonight? Yeah! You excited? Woo! So welcome, ladies and gentlemen. If I'm not mistaken, this is the first event of this year's wonderful weekend of drinking water. Uh, tonight, I hope you're all here for the water tasting. We're going to try several waters from around the world. Uh, well, you know, because you do bring up a good point, because at one point in time, they drank beer like water, because uh, it was healthy for them. So my name is Doug Miller. I teach at the Culinary Institute of America, located in Hyde Park, New York, uh, so about two hours north of New York City. Uh, I instruct on several classes, and right now, as I speak, my students are taking their midterm. Wholly different CIA than what we're accustomed to in this area. Don't worry. That guy won't disappear yet. So they're probably cursing at me and swearing at me because I'm in front of a wonderful audience, a wonderful crowd, and they're sitting and taking the midterm. But today we're going to talk about uh, some beer and hops. I'm going to pass it over to my partner to say a few words. Welcome. Mr. Chuck. Good evening, everybody. I'm Chuck Bassford. I'm with the Brooklyn Brewery. And uh, we're really excited to be here tonight. Uh, you know, this is a, a really interesting event. Um, I'm sure Doug would tell you, cooking with hops is nothing new. Uh, but it's challenging. You have to leave it to the hands of the expert. I, I think we were having a discussion earlier, and he said, you know, that when cooking with hops, the, the lesson is less is more. Uh, so we brought some of our more hop-forward beers to pair with the uh, 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 foods that, uh, that Doug and his team at CIA have come up with tonight uh, to really give you a, a, a nice uh, sympathy between the, uh, between the pairings as opposed to something that offsets them. We want accent flavors. Uh, and so we brought some really interesting hop-forward uh, beers. So I'll leave it to Doug to tell you about the first course, and I'll tell you about the beer that we've paired with. So the first course... I don't know how these things run in my head to just do, and my wife says all the time, of course you're going to do that. Uh, and then the next thing out of her mouth is, don't blow up the house. Uh, so for this one, I didn't blow up the house, and of course I did it, but it's very, very simple. All of this is popcorn with butter, some salt, a uh, little truffle oil, just a little kiss of truffle oil, uh, and some hops. Uh, so you have a little of the hoppiness, you have a little spice from the sriracha powder, and of course fat, and the truffle oil just adds a little bit of aromatics. It, honestly, it's a very easy snack to make. If you have a popcorn maker, you can make the rest. Uh, and it is something, if you're sitting there uh, watching a game, uh, or just doing nothing, if you really want to have fun, Put it in a little bag, a little Ziploc bag, put it underneath your coat when you go to the movies, take the bag out of front, and you can also bring a little beer, put that in the other pocket. No, well, that's up to you. Now, what about the beer? So, we've started you off tonight. Savor is a long night, as we all know, and you guys are starting early. Good for you. Excellent. Uh, we are starting you off with a beer called Half Ale. And uh, Half Ale is a session saison. Uh, some of you might be aware. You know, farmhouse saisons in Belgium started as a workaday beer. Uh, this is a beer you would have with lunch, with breakfast even. Um, 
we wanted to sort of uh, uh, you know go to the essence of that uh, uh, of that spirit and make a lower ABV saison that also had full flavor. And as you can tell, this is a very hop forward beer. Uh, we use uh, three different hops in it. Well, actually four, but predominantly Amarillo, Simcoe. And a little bit of one of our favorites, uh, Sriracha Ace. It's uh, often referred to as a little brother of our Sriracha Ace, uh, Cezanne. It is uh, extremely aromatic in its hop note. Uh, so it's a beautiful compliment, something that's light and airy uh, to go along with the popcorn. Uh, you know, we were thinking, I mean, this beer at its base, because it's got such a kind of uh, lower malt body and Big aromatic hop content. I mean, this could almost be salted uh, a lighter gozu. Um, so uh, Half Ale actually started its life as a, uh, uh, a what we call a worshipful company of brewers experiment last year as a beer called Oishi. Uh, and Oishi was designed because uh, we were very enamored with the Sriracha's hop and its citrusy note, uh, which really ends, lends just a, a, a big, beautiful nose. So again, it's a very hop-forward beer. I don't know if you guys would uh, expect this after tasting it, but that beer is 3.4% alcohol. And believe it or not, a 12-ounce serving, it's 108 calories. Uh, so this is something you don't be, have to be afraid to have a few of. And it's lighter, it's summerish, it is a year-round product for us. Uh, but it's a, it's a really, really wonderful offering. It actually is incredibly popular in our uh, Swedish market. Uh, the Swedes seem to really love half ale. And Swede, Sweden, I don't know if you guys know, is, uh, is a little bit like Utah. <laughs> if you want to sell beer at grocery stores, you have to be less than 3.5%. Uh, and uh, so just a wonderful, wonderful full-flavor beer that you don't have to be afraid of having a few of. And it's a perfect complement to a light, airy snack like the popcorn. And that was the whole goal, is something just to... Wet your palate, get you relaxed, get you comfortable. Um, and it's again, it's something, you know, we're thinking about entertaining because it's lower alcohol content beer, but you're not sacrificing the flavor and the popcorn. It's not a bad way to start if you're to have guests over the house. Uh, because from there, you could build flavors, you could build intensity for each course after that. Uh, and it's something you can make ahead, have it ready to go. They come in, they relax, you serve this, and you completely build uh, for the rest of the uh, evening from there. Uh, and that's one of the fun things about, uh, I know a lot of people say low alcohol beer means it's, it's something. No, it doesn't have to be. And that's what I think totally is this beer. It still gives you great flavor, just happens to be a little bit lower alcohol content. Yeah, I don't think thing. anybody in this room would argue that this beer doesn't have a great presence, particularly in the nose. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're going to have a few, this is a great choice. I'm really a little sad I don't have one, but... <laughs> ah, thank you, Doug. Ah, so now we get into the meat. The protein. I'll let Doug talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk about what's coming next. So there's, last year I was very, very fortunate enough to spend uh, four days driving through Belgium tasting beer. It was a tough, ed, it was educational experience. It was Horrible tough. Idea. Somebody had to do that. And driving through the back hills on the far western part of Belgium, 
almost onto the French border, I found uh, different types of hop products popping up, uh, including uh, pickled uh, hop shoots. And I also came across uh, an ODV, a distilled spirit that was finished with hops. And I know and I've read uh, that hops have been used throughout history as a food ingredient, including one chef, a gentleman named Mr. Scafier. Mr. Scafier is the godfather of the culinary world. He uh, is originally from France. Uh, he fought in the war. He actually, uh, and he learned how to uh, create the kitchen in a battalion method, a military method. Uh, and from there, he's what helped modernize the kitchen. We're talking about the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, really brought the kitchen into the modern uh, light. Now, inside of his book, and at the culinary, this book is one of the Bibles. Uh, it is required reading for a lot of the students. Uh, buried in the good thousand different recipes, there's two recipes in there for hop, for hop shoots in it. Uh, one of them is an omelet where the hop shoots are sautéed because in the first of the spring, the farmers out in the hop fields have to thin out so they don't have too many shoots coming up. So they used to come through and thin them out, and they would take that, blanch it in hot water with a little bit of salt, sauté with a little butter, and use it as a culinary dish. They would either use an omelet, and there's another recipe in there uh, where it's also very similar to an egg dish, almost like an egg uh, quiche, if you will. And that's why when people on campus uh, where I teach were saying hops and food, I'm like, yes, Escoffier did it. They're like, really, Escoffier did it? Because Escoffier, again, is, is the, the man when it comes to the history of culinary cooking. And that's where it started the gears turning uh, and developing these different types of dishes. Uh, why not use the entire, the entire plant? There are certain things that you can do, such as in the fall, I've taken the fresh cones, because I grow some at home, and I've battered them and deep fried them and eaten them like a little snack. Now, people always say, what about the bitterness? Okay. There's tricks to control the bitterness. One, I wanted the hops in all these dishes to be a compliment, uh, to be a back note, not necessarily the shining star. Because if it's a shining star, you'll bring out some bitterness uh, and astringency and things you don't want. On top of that, uh, using cold preparation, keeping away from the heat because the heat brings out the bitterness, uh, utilizing for more cooler or cold preparations also help tame uh, that bitterness that is, can be present in hops. Last, fat. Fat and bitter with a little bit of salt all balance each other out. Uh, the way we taste a lot of different things is the fat and the salt and the bitterness. That's why certain dishes uh, go well so together. So as they pass around the beer, the, the first one that I did, uh, actually, I didn't make these. I'm very, very fortunate enough to have instructors at, on campus who help develop these recipes with me. Uh, and Chef uh, Gigliotti, who works in the Bocuse restaurant, uh, worked on our next component, which is hop-cured salmon. So what she did, uh, she took uh, beautiful Atlantic salmon, uh, did a salt sugar uh, hop cure for three days. So this went into the cure on uh, Tuesday. Uh, she pulled it out this morning of the cure, just rinsed off the salt, uh, and then packed it up for me. And I picked it up at 8 o'clock this morning because I took down the train, and here's the salmon in front of me. The, underneath is this little water cracker, and on top of it is just a little bit of dill. Uh, just for a little aromatics. Uh, and when you think about Gravlax, 
the different herbs that can be used like Gravlax, why not use a little bit of hops? You can treat it just like any other herb if you know how to tame the beast and control it. Uh, and obviously, uh, different hop varieties will give different notes. So the hop varieties on this is Cascades. Uh, these were whole uh, clustered Cascades that were grown in a small farm in upstate New York. Uh, so I want a little bit of aromatics, a little bitterness uh, to help balance out the, the salmon itself. The salmon is a full cure, so the salmon is not cooked. Uh, it, it gives a perception of being cooked because of the curing process. So, Chuck. And uh, uh, likewise, uh, as Doug was saying, you know, the, we want the hops to be an accent flavor. So the beer that we paired with this, or decided to pair with this, is uh, some of you may be familiar with uh, our beer called Sriracha Ace. Sriracha Ace is a light, crisp Belgian saison um, hopped exclusively with the Sriracha Ace hop. Now, Sriracha Ace, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a hop varietal that's actually developed in the 1970s uh, by a Japanese brewery. And uh, but it was a little too intense for what they make. Uh, later in the 1990s, it was propagated and grown by a family farm in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Uh, Sriracha is very unlike other West Coast hop varietals. It does not have uh, that big pine grapefruit gigantic floral aromatic. Instead, it finishes uh, beautifully with the Saison uh, with this nice citrusy sort of dill, uh, lemongrass, lemon verbena note. Uh, so it's a beautiful pairing. It offsets the, the hop, the, the bright kind of piney on a hop that's uh, uh, the cooked with the salmon. This particular version of Sriracha Ace is something a little special. This is what we call a ghost bottle. Uh, and it is a flight of fancy uh, when Garrett and the brew team decide to uh, get a little crazy. This one is aged on heirloom tomatoes, which are really nice. They give just a little bit of acidity to that otherwise kind of sweet Saison uh, style and lend a little balance to the Sriracha hop itself and also added uh, sunflower petals, uh, which give you some aromatic. It's not huge. As you can tell, uh, you really sort of... Uh, if you if you get your nose deep in there, you can pull it out. Uh, but it's a wonderful beer. It's something dramatic, something a little bit different, and uh, something that really accents the uh, uh, the hop note in the salmon. This, in fact, Garrett Oliver, uh, and for those of you who uh, may not know, Garrett Oliver is our brewmaster. Uh, he is... Uh, pretty much the leading authority on food and beer pairing in the United States. In fact, author of two books uh, of the same fact and the only U.S. brewmaster ever to win a James Beard Award uh, claims, and so I'm not just pulling this out of my hat, that this is the best seafood pairing beer out there. So it's a beautiful accompaniment to the salmon and uh, I think it's a really, uh, you guys are uh, uh, getting a unique opportunity to try something that uh, was just something fun that we tried. Uh, this is not a beer that will be sold uh, so you can say you're one of the few that tried it, but Sriracha Ace on heirloom tomatoes and sunflower petals. I would go out on a limb that you're the only ones who's ever going to try this pairing because I don't know too many people curing salmon with hops and this beer is not readily available. So you're part of the select few that can say you actually tried this pairing because it's not out there. It's definitely not out there. So, um, and anybody grow hops at home? You can use everything in the plant. 
you can use everything in the plant uh, where uh, we talked about using the cones, we talked about using the, sh the shoots. Uh, the shoots can be used in, in uh, multiple different uh, uh, applications. Um, as I mentioned before, you can treat it essentially like asparagus. You could uh, take it and uh, blanch it and saute it, as I mentioned before, a little olive oil, a little Parmesan cheese if you wanted to, uh, to make a little casserole dish. You could uh, also take it uh, and uh, chop it up and blend it into rice uh, for a little texture component. And you could use the hop cones also within rice. Um, make the rice, cook the rice, and add a little bit of hops in there with a little bit of butterness, and that can add a nice little uh, complement if you're having something with it that's fatty, uh, such as a stew or a chili or something of that nature. Again, I wouldn't necessarily cook with it because that's going to really bring out the bitterness. Opposed to it, I would, I would utilize it as a finishing ingredient. Um, similar, you can also take uh, hops and mix it with a little bit of salt and make a finishing salt with the hops, so you can sprinkle that on to just about anything that you want. Um, and that brings us up to the next one, which is the uh, Chef Kowalski, who teaches garment at the school. Uh, this is hop-cured bacon. So, gonna have beer, gotta have bacon, so why not put some hops on it? <laughs> so what they did with it is they did a little bit more of a sweeter cure, uh, where they cured it with, uh, again, Cascade hops. Uh, let that cure for about three days, and then they double smoked it. Uh, they smoked it uh, a colder smoke, about 140 degrees. Smoked it once, they smoked it a, a second time. Uh, the pork belly itself is uh, Berkshire pork, so a nice uh, fatty piece of pork. Uh, on top of that, or underneath that is a lovely biscuit, and then just a little schmear, if you will, of, of hops. And then on top of that, cascade, um, shaz hops, actually. And then some pickled uh, hop shoots on top of that. Uh, the pickled hop shoots was made at another restaurant. And to make those pickled hop shoots, they took vinegar, uh, some salt, uh, and a little bit of water, took the hop shoots, uh, blanched them, put them in the brine, and then pickled them. Uh, those have been pickled for about a month now, uh, for about a month now, and it really tains it. Yes. What kind of vinegar? Uh, you, for them, they probably used white vinegar, uh, white wine vinegar. Uh, you could, if you really want to do a complete circle, is you could make your own um, malt vinegar, and then take the malt vinegar and cure the hops in it, and then you could have malted uh, cured uh, hop shoots. You have to hit them. You have to use the. He was asking about how much of the shoot did I use. You have to do it early. So uh, my hops broke ground about the third week of April, and these were picked the first week of May, uh, because if you wait too late, it gets woody and stemmy. Um, actually, if you feel, if you ever felt the hop shoots, it's almost like prickly because it almost has like fine hairs on it. So that's why you have to pick them early in the season when you're thinning out the field. And that's when you realize to do it now, it's a little bit too late in the season because it's going to be wood. Uh, you could take the new growth, 
But at this point in time, I'd rather just have them grow and fully mature into to give some hop flowers and some hop cones. But you could take uh, the young shoots. Like mine are still growing. I think mine are like 18 feet tall right now. Um, yeah, if, if you've ever seen hops grow, hops will grow. If you have good rain and some sun, it literally, you can almost watch it grow. It'll grow five, six inches in a day. Um, I mean, literally mine broke ground mid-April, and now what, the first week of June, and they're about 18 feet tall, and they're not quite done yet, uh, which is one of the reasons why one of the old names for the hop plant was the wolf plant. Uh, lupin gland, lupin refers to, uh, back in the Roman times, wolf, hence the wolf plant, because it is invasive and will start growing all over the place. You have to tame it. I have hop plant popped up this year somewhere I didn't expect it. Um, but it has very long history, as we've only really been using hops and beer since, uh, gosh, now 400 years, 500 years. So the use of hops is relatively new in the beer world. In fact, for a very long period of time, uh, it was... The church kept people from using hops because the church controlled the spice routes because they're using gruit to flavor beer. And they didn't want to get their business to cut in, so don't allow people to use hops. Use our herbs and spices that you have to buy from us to support the church. But eventually the Dutch broke out of that, and now we have hops in all our beers. So speaking of, hey, what a perfect pairing for D.C., right? Smoked it once, smoked it twice, I smoked something real nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the beer that we're pairing this with, and because, again, you know, to Doug's point, this is a, this is a very delicately hopped dish, uh, we decided to pair this with our most hop-forward beer. Uh, you guys are trying a beer that we may call Blast right now. Blast actually has... Uh, 11 different hops in it, believe it or not, but six predominant hops. And uh, what's interesting about this beer is is the dichotomy of flavors that that, that hop blend brings. We use three different English hops, uh, which are much more subdued, uh, much earthier. They, they give a longer finish. And then three big, bright West Coasters that give you that that pine, that grapefruit, that aromatic. Uh, it's really nice. It's a really big beer. It's uh, for an IPA, and one of our big beliefs at Brooklyn Brewery is balance. Uh, it's got a beautiful malt note uh, that is up front and complements all that hop at the end. Uh, and uh, it's not a not a little guy. Sold in four packs for your safety. It is an eight and a half percenter. Um, so she'll get you there, but uh, it is a really bright, vibrant, vibrant beer. Um, and given the sort of, uh, uh, again, uh, scaled back accent flavor uh, with, the, with the smoked meats, we decided that we're going to bring out a really uh, extraordinary big bright beer with it. And a lot of hop note, as you can tell, Blast is our uh, is sort of a flagship in our, in our uh, more eclectic category. Really nice. So enjoy. Yes, sir. Question. Um, so these are very subtle. Yes. Hops, yes. If you wanted something a little bit more present, would you do something like you do when you're brewing, sort of take it towards, a, put it in a water bath, towards a, a two-minute saturation? Of- you could uh, actually have some of our first renditions were really pushing it um, and it can become I, I'm a firm believer if you're going to eat it, drink it, you should try it in its raw state State. so I'm the one who will take a hop cone and eat it or I'm the one who will take a little bite of uh, hot pellets and put it in my mouth and eat it and everybody's like oh my gosh it's, so it's like well if you're going to serve it you have to know what it tastes like uh, 
I found that for it's it's better to do a little restraint oftentimes and make it subtle uh, opposed to hitting somebody over the head with it because you can eat, you can easily go overboard. All you have to do is just add a little bit more. Other things to consider uh, when pairing beer with food too is if you really want an explosion in your mouth, choose a beer higher in alcohol content, like a higher alco- alcohol content IPA and something spicy. Uh, that's why I love going to bars. Uh, I live in upstate New York, as I mentioned before, and chicken wings are big there, and you have these guys coming in, they order the spicy chicken wings, and they want that beer with a lot of alcohol in it. I'm like, mm, okay, we'll see what happens. And the next thing you know, their head's exploding, and they're trying to figure out why. Alcohol and hops and spice don't get along. They just don't like each other. Um, unless you really want an explosion, uh, an explosion in your mouth, which some people do. Uh, and... These are just some of the things to consider. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm very fortunate to be up here on the stage uh, and we tasted Brooklyn uh, Brewery Spears is because on campus this fall we're opening up a brewery on campus. Uh, so it started off with this crazy idea when I went to the president's office and I said, let's open up a brewery. And he looks at me like, why? I'm like, well, I think it'd be fun and da-da-da-da, it'd be great for education, da-da-da. Why? <laughs> Well, after conversations and talking to him, I turned to find out he's a son of a brewer. His father worked at a brewery in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, back in the 60s and 70s. That's long gone now, Duquesne Brewery. So it made it a lot easier uh, to convince him. Plus, I'm also originally from Pittsburgh, too. So it also helped a little bit. Uh, the, the, the goal of the brewery is we're not going to become a brewing school. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to start to engage in the conversation about beer in the hospitality industry. Because unfortunately, for a lot of restaurants, they have quote-unquote craft beer lists. And I went to one in my neighborhood at a craft beer list with 20 beers on tap, and 12 of them were uh, ABN Bev. Uh, and the average consumer will not know it. And I've been to other places where you try somebody's beer and you're like, you know, something's wrong with it. And it had nothing to do with the beer. It had to do with the establishment not cleaning the beer lines. And I'm sure all of you have been faced where you grab a beer, you expect X, and you get Y because of the uh, unclean beer lines. So by adding the brewery on campus where the students will be brewing, uh, we'll have wonderful help. We already have had wonderful help from Brooklyn Brewery. Our students, once they got in the industry, they have a stronger conversation uh, with beer. Plus, talking about food and beer pairings, I, t- I tell my students they have to write a recipe utilizing beer or a beer ingredient. They cannot write a recipe for a beer and cheddar cheese soup. We've beaten that horse so many times. Or chili with beer in it. Been there, done that. Can we move past that? So I want the students to start thinking about beer in a much broader way. My wife uh, actually teaches wine, uh, and she's a sommelier, and I'm the beer person. And uh, we have very interesting discussions. But she also agrees, a lot of times, beer compared to food dish, just as well as wine, sometimes even better. But unfortunately, we're not quite there yet in the restaurant industry and with the community at large, where there's still some people will say, you're drinking beer with that course? Is that okay? Nobody's going to say anything, even though it could be an absolutely wonderful pairing. The brewery is an eight-barrel system. Uh, We'll have two mainstay beers. We'll rotate beers throughout throughout the year. Plus, all the byproducts, like we are going to use the spent grain to make uh, waffles and pancakes. 
uh, and also to use it to make bread. Uh, and also use it to make dog treats, too. It's very good uh, dog treats. Uh, plus, I want to eventually use the spent grain to grow mushrooms so that you can get three crops out of the grain. So I can get a beer, I can grow mushrooms, and then I can use the spent grain on the end for compost to grow other plants. So try and make it a, a complete crop. And exposing the students to all of these uh, different items. Uh, and that's why we decided to uh, do a brewery. Campus only, so you're going to have to come visit us. Uh, because we had to get state legislature to change New York state law. Uh, because we have a, a manufacturing permit and also on-premise permit, so they had to change state law and the governor had to sign it. Uh, but we'll have growlers there. Uh, and uh, plus, we, it'll be served in all the restaurants on campus. And we'll have a wide range of different beers uh, that Garrett Oliver is going to come up with, with the entire crew is going to come up with, students will come up with, and it's going to change uh, throughout, throughout the year, throughout the season. So we're very, very excited uh, to add that addition to the campus and hopefully change the conversation that people have when it comes to beer and food and how it can be, if not better, with, as a pairing than, than wine. So that's, that's our main goal. And, you know, at Brooklyn Brewery, we're really proud to be partnered with CIA in this venture uh, because we have a generation of chefs coming up who will be introduced to food and beer pairing. That will be their focus, or at least part of their focus. Uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful uh, uh, venture for us. We're really excited about the program. Uh, Garrett, in fact, is uh, you know probably spending a greater focus of his time coming up with recipes to, to educate probably. the students and than a lot of other things at this point. So, what do you guys think so far? How's everybody like the uh, the blast? <laughs> we'll talk about the dessert course here in just a second. I'm really excited to tell you guys about this uh, uh, this last beer that's coming out. This is also uh, part of our Ghost Bottle program. Uh, it's a beer that we did uh, uh, second quarter of this year as part of our Brooklyn Quarterly Experiment Barrel Aging Program. But I'll let uh, uh, Doug tell you about the food first. It's going to come out in a second. So it's just a little taste. Uh, you'll either have a marshmallow or chocolate. If you're quick, you might get both. It's up to you. I grew up in a family. There's two types of people, the quick and the hungry. Uh, <laughs> So Chef Grueling, a, a very well-known uh, uh, chocolatier uh, and, and uh, chef on campus. So I go knocking on his door. I'm like, how about putting hops in marshmallows? How about putting hops in chocolate? <laughs> and he kind of looks at me. Thank goodness he likes to home brew. So it wasn't that foreign a concept. And he takes his glasses down and he looks at me. He's like... Okay, I can do that for you. Uh, and so Chef Grueling made uh, some infused chocolates with the hops. And again, fat. And then the marshmallow, there's a lot of richness. Uh, I recommend, the reason why I'm pouring the beer first, I recommend trying the beer first because the chocolates and marshmallows are very rich and sweet. Uh, not necessarily uh, would be the best pairing, but I wanted to give you something, just a little sweetness uh, to finish things, to finish things off uh, before you go enjoy the uh, rest of your evening out on the floor. So, guys, this is uh, the beer you're trying is Cuvée Noir. Uh, it is, again, part of our Ghost Bottle series. This is, in fact, a... Uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about Cuvée Noir first. Cuvée Noir is a, a, is a dark, multi-Belgian ale. This is the only beer in this series that we're talking about that's not extremely hop-forward, and it's because of the pairing that we chose. Uh, this beer, 10.5%, you know, uh, big, rich, very malt-forward, um, 
generally we would pair this with a mole or, uh, or, or something else uh, very rich in character, which is why it lends itself perfectly to the, uh, to the dessert dish that you're about to try. This one in particular, uh, aged in cognac barrels. So something you can't get every day. Another one of the ghost bottles. You will not see this uh, uh, unless, uh, unless we get great call from the brewery because it takes about a year to make. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part about our ghost bottle stuff and our barrel aging program. You know, uh, uh, they come out in tiny, tiny little limited alla- allocations. And the reason why is uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot of space to make them. Most of them are anywhere from 12 to 18 months uh, in the barrels. Uh, this has been in the cognac barrels for, for a, a fair bit of time, about four months, I think. And uh, I think it's going to make a beautiful pairing to the, uh, to the chocolate. Yeah? So if this was to come out on uh, it would be probably on par with the rest of our... So we have a series called the BQE series, the uh, Brooklyn Quarterly Experiment. I know we're a little tongue-in-cheek with that one. Um, you guys ever heard of Black Ops? I figured you might have. You know, Black Ops, is uh, if we were allowed to talk about it, uh, will always be our fourth quarter BQE. But uh, we were fortunate uh, three years ago... Uh, when our barrel aging program was just in its infancy, and basically we were just doing black ops uh, and a few errant barrels of ghost bottle here and there, uh, to acquire 10,000 square feet of barrel aging face, uh, space at the uh, former Brooklyn Navy Yard. We now have 2,400 barrels in aging, and we release uh, what we call Brooklyn Quarterly Experiment Series beer every quarter. Uh, Cuvée Noir was uh, the last quarter, 2003. Uh, or 2014, and we keep some of that, and we do kind of crazy stuff with it, the cognac uh, aging. Uh, they're still very limited releases, uh, and they're amazing, uh, but it's all about space and time. Most of those beers are 12 to 18 months in the making, so uh, Cuvée Noir was one of those. It's something very special. Uh, you won't see it again for sure, so enjoy it, uh, and it's a wonderful compliment to the, uh, to the truffle. So you ready for a pop quiz? Sorry, that's the teacher in me. No, there's no quizzes. <laughs> Actually, one of my colleagues in the back, Mr. Chef Zerifoss, who's speaking tomorrow, is ready for the pop quiz. But I do want to say questions. Are there any questions out there? For the salmon, uh, it was whole hop cones. Uh, for the bacon, it was pellets. Uh, the salmon, uh, the vantage, more than just the bitterness, you also get a little vegetable note out of, out of the plant material itself. Uh, and that's why the salmon would be a little bit more delicate, utilizing a, a full cone. Uh, if it was the right season, I would love to play around with some, these were dried, uh, some fresh hop cones. That would be very interesting because I think you would get a different set of aromatics and oils if they were, they were fresh cones. Uh, breaking them up, just loosely breaking them up a little bit. Uh, they just put them in a blender a little bit with the salt just to break them up, but not really pureeing them. Yes, sir. Uh, that is pellets. That I just bloomed the pellets in the beer. I just took the pellets, added the beer, let it sit, uh, and absorbed the liquid for about 20 minutes, and then sprinkle it on top and just, just mix it all in together. Just mix it all in. Yes, ma'am. Question. 
I'm sorry? Oh, gosh, yes. I think so. I have not, but curry itself with all the different components, uh, all the different fenugreek and, and everything else that goes in curry, I think hops can be very nice addition uh, into definitely some type of curry. Yeah. And then also because then if you add uh, some type of fat like a coconut milk, that will help balance out that bitterness. I think you totally put it in a curry. I think you could also put hops in a pesto. So if you made a pesto with pine nuts, olive oil, and your, your Parmesan cheese and your basil, and then add a little bit of hops to it, I think you can also put it in a pesto. And then from there, you could use it on pizza, pasta, uh, however else you want to use it. You're welcome. I think there was, yes, sir. You just have a lot of students that are under 21. How do you work with beer and wine? <laughs> we are very fortunate in the state of New York that... If you, and there are several states, if you're under the age of 21, you have to be 18 and over to taste in a class. So a lot of the students, I have students in my beer class that are 18, 19 years old, uh, and we're very fortunate that they can do that. Uh, it's true in, gosh, Washington is the case, California is the case, a couple other states are the case. Uh, in the beer class I'm teaching right now, it's more of a beer appreciation class, and we'll taste about 60 different types of beer this year, uh, this semester. So we'll taste, we'll spend a day in Belgium, day in Germany, uh, I do hard cider, I do sake, uh, to do other fermented beverages, and then part of the classes they did a four-course dinner with a domestic and imported beer with each course, including dessert, and their paper is due on the 7th. So their paper, they're writing their paper this weekend talking about the experience of what paired well together. Best class ever. <laughs> it's, it's funny because a lot of students are like, yeah, we're going to take it. Yeah, shots for an A. Yeah, it's going to get an A. And then they get to midterm and they're like, oh, yeah, maybe not. He does take this seriously. Oh, Too much of a good thing. Because Monday's lecture, to give you a preview on Monday's lecture, we're going to talk about the beer barons. Uh, so we're going to talk about Paps and Anheuser-Busch and Strohs and Slitch and uh, Ebbart and, and all the beer barons from the early 20th century. Other questions? Uh, what's your favorite beer to cook with? And... All the above. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what you're cooking. It really does depend on what you're cooking. Uh, you could use... Um, Gosh, you can use beer and bread uh, instead of water. I've done that before. Uh, still add a little bit of water, but basically uh, use uh, most of the beer. Whatever flavors the beer will carry over. Uh, you can use beer uh, to add to mix with mustard, so you can make a beer mustard. And of course, you have wide applications of that. Uh, you can use beer uh, to braisin. Uh, so some type of roast or stew. Uh, you can use beer in barbecue sauce. Uh, anybody from Alabama, some Alabama white barbecue sauce, uh, which is mayonnaise-based. Beer goes great in that. Uh, you can use beer in pancakes. You can use beer in waffles. Uh, you can use beer in Fruit Loops. You can use beer in ice cream. <laughs> Uh, a, a stout, a stout beer in your ice cream with chocolate makes a wonderful ice cream. So. There's not a thing I can think of that you can't use beer for. You can put your eggs in beer. Uh, if you want to do a twist on uh, uh, Eggs Benedict. Uh, although that gets tricky because that gets a little bit bitterness. Nice stout makes an excellent float. Oh, gosh. 
stout. Yeah, the chocolate stout. Your mm. chocolate stout and a couple of scoops of ice cream. It's perfect for a hot summer day. Mmm, I can see that. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, question for you. It's a great question. Um, you know, at, at Brooklyn Brewery, we're firm believers that uh, that bitterness alone is not a defining characteristic of a beer. Um, you know, Blast, for example, is only about a 65 IBU beer. It's not uh, over the top. It's got an enormous, enormous hop profile, uh, given the amount of hops that's in it. But uh, but it's not an overpoweringly bitter beer. And I'd say, you know, for us personally. Um, it's not as big as a factor, uh, but we don't make the beers that have the big sort of defining West Coast dankness. Um, if you want that character, and you know we've experimented with beers with that character, it's just not us. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's relevant, but we're more moving towards making beers that are um, uh, you know very appealing with food. A uh, which I think is always Garrett Oliver's primary focus, and B beers that are uh, you know somewhat sessionable. I mean, even Blast for a, for a high IBU, not extraordinarily high IBU, but high hop content IPA has a nice malt note and has nice balance, uh, and is a, a beer worthy having a few of um, if you want to sit down and have you know five eight and a half percent beers. Um, I think that's one of the ethoses of the brewery. There are people who would disagree with me, uh, who say that you know the biggest, baddest, meanest, tongue-destroying IPA out there is is the direction that they're heading. Um, but I think bitterness, you know, particularly for this session and pairing with beer, is not a uh, food pairing with beer is not necessarily what we were after. Uh, we were after uh, beers that had great accent flavors and didn't destroy the characters of the food. Because there are a lot of beers out there, uh, quite honestly, that you take a sip of them, you're not going to taste anything uh, after that, including food or the next sip of beer that you take. So, so we're starting to get food rated with IBU. You know, uh, interestingly, I don't know. Well, uh, the other thing about IBUs is it's different for everybody. Yeah. Everybody has a different sensitivity to bitterness. Um, that's one of the challenges with IBUs. And, and I'm a firm believer is find what works for you. You know, if you don't want a high IBU beer, it's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Although some people are like, I don't like IBUs or something. No, there's nothing wrong with you. Find what you like and enjoy it. That's, that's the way things should be. Possibly yes. The publishing world is very tricky, uh, but yes, uh, we really want to uh, help educate um, people at large, industry at large, guests at large uh, on beer and beer service, and uh, just changing the conversation that people have beer uh, in the restaurants. Because I've seen it in one of our restaurants where I've talked to guests and they're looking at the beer list, like, "Oh, would you like to select a beer?" It's like, "Really, I can select a beer?" I'm like, it's okay. You can have a beer. He's like, I thought this is a French restaurant. I can have beer in this. I'm like, yes, if you like beer, drink it. And they look at and they look across the table and look at the wife. And the wife 
wife just gives a little smile, and they're so happy. Uh, and that's one of the conversations I've felt. People shouldn't feel guilty about having beer in a restaurant if that's what they love. That's, and, I, and, I, I'm a, and, and a good beverage program, you should have good quality wine, you should have good quality beer, you should have good quality non-alcoholics, good quality coffee, uh, cocktails, all the above. You should have a great program. There's a question in the back. Yes, sir. Is, I'm sorry? Yes, yes. Uh, that will be, I already teach about it. Um, I, I, if anybody ever set up a draft line, it gets really technical, uh, lift and distance. So I already talk about it, and we'll most definitely talk about uh, sanitation from the brewery standpoint, and then sanitation and cleaning from the serving standpoint. The challenging with beer is you can have a fantastic beer if your draft lines aren't clean. If you're not cleaning them every other week, it does nothing for the beer. And unfortunately, too many consumers think it's the beer's fault, not the operator's fault. Um, what kind of hops do you grow? And I'll give you a secret. I think they're Cascades. <laughs> what happened is I planted them four years ago. And I didn't label them very well. <laughs> and the label's long gone. And I think they're cascades, because it makes sense. I know, it began with, I know I have like shred of information. It began with the C, and cascades are readily available. Uh, the hops I have myself, I give them away. I don't really use them. I give them to my neighbors, and I bring them to school. We play around, cook with them, and uh, uh, have fun with them that way. Uh, we're thinking about, in the fall, of one of the restaurants, uh, taking the fresh hop cones and uh, making a dish with it uh, to serve one of the restaurants in the fall season. And that's in the French restaurant, and people will say again, oh my gosh, that's not French. How kind of hops isn't that? It's like, if you've ever been to the northwest corner of France, there's hop fields there, and yeah. they grow hops, and they use hops for a lot of different things. The other thing I want to try this fall, so I want to see if I can't do a hop and apple jelly. I'm curious about that. I think, in my mind, I think it would work. Uh, I would probably, I, if I could, I would try and get some uh, more acidic apples, like some Granny Smiths, and maybe some tannic apples, so almost like some crab apples. Uh, make it jelly, and at the end, add some hops uh, to add a little flavor to it, and then strain that out. Uh, so I'm going to see if I can't make some hop jelly this, this fall. Let's see. And historically, New York State was one of the largest hop producing states in the uh, in the region before the breadbasket in the United States became uh, uh, sort of the center of agricultural uh, uh, expansion as well as the West. Uh, New York, Connecticut, big hop growing regions. So there's a lot of local hop that uh, that you see. Right. We make a beer called Green Market Wheat that's 70% locally sourced uh, New York, not only barley, but also hops. We make 100% of the hops for that, uh, for that beer. Yeah, the hop, the... Uh Barley houses are coming back to New York after being gone for 100 years. Uh, other than stouts, are there any particular styles of beer that lend themselves well to battery? So like beer batter, whatnot? I was going to say, depending on what you're battering, fruit beers work well. Um, if you're battering uh, some type of fruit, I wouldn't say necessarily fish, uh, those work well. Um, I would also, something like a Cezanne works well for battering. Uh, 
Uh, it actually, actually adds a lot of effervescence to it. Um, it all depends on if I'm doing something, an oilier fish, like a bluefish, uh, something more fat, like a salmon, I would choose a bigger style beer. If you're doing like a flounder or, I don't know, a, a lighter uh, type fish, uh, then I'll use a lighter style beer. Uh, and also depends on what you add into the batter itself. There's another. Yes, sir. Um, so when using hop cones, yes. I'll batter the whole cone and I'll dip the whole cone in a batter and deep fry the whole thing and eat it. Yeah, it works. I wouldn't necessarily eat a whole bowl of them, but if you were to mix them in with like calamari or French fries or jala- fried jalapenos, it, it's great. That's why you have to, what is it, about a two-week season you can do it right when they're harvested, right in the fall when they're harvested. It's about a two-week season you can do it uh, because you're correct. If, they're, if the hops start to get a hold, they get a little leathery or a little dry on you, and that's why it's about two weeks out of the year you can do it. But most of what you use is a hop tea. Yes, yes. Yeah, most of it essentially is a hop tea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I had a student um, who did a flan uh, with beer, uh, which which was very intriguing. I've had him utilize it for muffins. Uh, to mix it into the batter uh, when making muffins, uh, donuts is another way to use it. On the savory side, uh, I've seen students uh, add a little beer uh, to finish off a hollandaise uh, to put on to put on eggs. I've had students uh, who have uh, played around using it to make sausage. Uh, to make hot dogs, essentially, because you add a little bit of water in the process of making hot dogs for the emulsion. So adding a little beer instead of the ice of the water uh, to make hot dogs. Uh, I've seen that done also. So, And I keep encouraging them to come up with these ideas because that's going to help change beer dinners and people's conversations with beer. Is keep, and, and nine out of ten things never come to fruition. It only takes that one. It only takes that one to come to fruition to work. I don't, it's not really, it's for like the, the schmear put on the bacon, it was just, it was cold beer. Um, and if I'm making a hop tea, which they used to make hop tea and consume it, uh, it was actually very good for you for medicinal purposes. Uh, I would not, I'd watch the temperature like 140, 150 degrees. If you start getting a full boil, it's just going to bring out a lot of bitterness and it's going to break down a lot of the aromatics. So uh, just above body temperature up to about 140 degrees or so, 120 degrees, yeah. Yes, sir. Have you cooked with uh, uncarbonated beer and pork? If so, what would you apply? I have not, but you could. Uh, there's what would be very interesting with wort is because it's very sticky, it'd be very interesting to finish it to baste meat with. Um, as almost like a sweet glaze to finish something off. It'd be very interesting to utilize that in a stir fry um, to add a little sweetness or add some graininess to it. Uh, it'd be very also interesting uh, to use, and I'm just pop things that pop in my head. Uh, I would love to try some sticky buns with it. 
I think it would be fun uh, to use the, the wart uh, in, the, in the bread or in the process of making the sticky buns and make sticky buns and add in the schmear uh, when you cook off the spiky, sticky buns. Yeah, I'll have to try that one next. <laughs> just don't blow up the house. Just don't blow up the house. So just curious. Yes, sir. Where, where are you from the Midwest? Yeah. I used to live in the Midwest. If you're going to boil, I would stay from I would stay away from beers that are high in IBUs or IPAs because that's just going to give you bitterness. Um, I would use that type of beer maybe to finish in a mustard or a mayonnaise or a ketchup. Um, if you made your own ketchup, you can certainly add beer to that. I would boil it in something uh, more neutral. Pilsner would work out well. Um, then you could, if you wanted to, to control the bitterness, then you could add a little bit of hops in it uh, and other aromatics into that beer and boil it that way so you control the bitterness. Uh, if you were to use the IPA, then I'd add a little bit of water. So I'm just a little bit concerned about the, the bitterness. Oh, yeah, you can also use hops for uh, crab boil, too. I forgot. We're in crab country. Uh, uh, you can use it in a crab boil or a crawfish boil. Yes, ma'am. Don't say natty about fried chicken beer. Well, you could brine the chicken in beer. Uh, then you could put beer in the batter. And then you can deep fry it in it. And then you can serve the beer. So what we call in the industry is bridging, where you cook with and serve with the same beer. Yeah, you could brine, batter, and then serve all with the same beer. And then you can also use the spent grain on the waffles. If you're making your own beer, so you have spent grain waffles with fried, with fried chicken with the beer that you made. That kind of pulls it all full circle. Multiple uses for beer. I told you, beer goes with everything, including cornflakes. If you ever watched MASH, they used to do that in the TV show MASH years ago. Any other final questions? Yes, sir. Yes. The trick about spent grains is because there's hot and there's still a lot of sugars in them, you gotta get them cold quickly. Because there's still a lot of things that wanna get in there. So you either have to get it cold quickly or start drying it out. Uh, if you were to let it sit at that warm temperature, it's just gonna mold, quite frankly, very quickly in a couple of days. Uh, what the, I've done a couple of things. I have three lovely dogs, Samson, Delilah, and Bridget. Uh, and I have done dog granola. Uh, where I've taken the spent grain and just mixed it with flour and put it in a sheet tray and broke it up and uh, they eat anything. Uh, <laughs> no, literally, they do eat everything. The other day, Delilah ate a pound of dried pasta. Uh, yeah. Um, you could also grind it up into a flour. Or what I would do a lot of times is take the spent grain, mix it with flour, and then cut out and then dry it out in the oven. And then essentially have dried cheese. One thing to keep in mind, though, Hops are poisonous to dogs. So make sure you keep the hops away from the dogs. It's not good for them. A large portion of spent grain is used to supply cattle farms and chicken farms, believe yeah. it or not. I use about 90% of the starches in the grain, but only about 10% of the proteins in the brewing process. So it's excellent cattle excellent feed, protein. dog yeah. food. Yeah. It's great also people food, too. You could mix the spent grain into granola yourself and eat it. Um, you can also take dried grain and uh, mix it in granola or mix it into nuts as a snack. It's another way to serve it too. So, well, thank you for your time. Any other final uh, things to say, Mr. Chuck? Everyone. Now, uh, thank you everyone for coming out. It's very nice to talk to everyone. Have a great evening. If you have any other questions, just come on up, please. Don't, please feel free. Thank you for your time.
Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2015, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2015, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.